It's nice to see you here. If you're online, I, I can t- you need to clean your house. No, it's just teasing. Um, before I start, does everyone have one of the handouts? It's just scripture. It's the scripture passage we're going to be using today. And it's a little elongated. I'm going to re- be referring back to it off and on throughout the message. So I thought it'd be easier just to have in your hands. Um, so if you don't, one of our ushers would, I'm sure, gladly bring you one if you just get their attention. Okay? Newness. That's the name of our series. We've been, we've been talking about this quality of life that, that only we have. Only Christians can fully understand and only Christians can live out this newness of life that the Bible talks about. Now, when the Bible uses that term, new, it's referring to something that's fresh, Something that, do you ever paint a room, put a fresh coat of paint on the wall? That's, that, that's new. It, it talks about something that, that's recent, that's current, that's, that's up to date. It's, it's, you know, like that new car smell. It, it, it does, it, you have, you have, if you want to keep that smell in your car, you have to keep buying a new car. <laughs> that's what I found. It means unprecedented. That means like it's never been before. And it means better. New isn't just different. It's always superior. It's always better. It's always of a higher quality. And and that's what we're talking about, this newness of life that comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ, by his residency in us, by the Holy Spirit. In the first message, we sort of defined Newness and, and the main idea was that it, new is designed into creation. God is the author and source of all things new, and he is the one who continually makes all things new. And then we talked in the second message, we gave sort of a, a, a description or characteristics of this newness of life. We talked about the grace of God, the, the pricelessness of this treasure that he's put in us as jars of clay. We talked about um, that this newness of life is, is joy-filled. Um, so definition, description, wonderful things. But how many understand that newness of life has little value to others and even to ourselves unless it's demonstrated? Hmm? Has to be walked out. Has to be lived out each and every day. And, and that's the concern of our message today. That's the focus of our message today. We're going to read... Um, Part of Paul's letters to the Colossian believers, you have your handouts. If you're at home and obviously you don't have a handout, get out your Bible. Now, we're going to be using the ESV, the English Standard Version translation, but whatever you have will work. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 in the book of Colossians, Paul writes, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is adultery. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, and you were living in them. But now you must put them away. All anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talking from your mouth. 
Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, thank you for your word. Your word has life. Your word is light. Your word guides. Your word transforms. And we submit ourselves to your word today. Lord, help me to speak only your word. Help our ears to be anointed to hear the transforming truth of your word. And let it be fruitful in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're going to do a little Bible study, if that's okay. Are we all right with that? We're going to walk through this passage. We won't take it verse by verse. Some of you are already worried that how is he going to get through 17 verses in the next seven hours? But I'm going to try. Um, We're we'll going to take it in chunks, but I do need to move quickly through some sections. So you listen fast, and, and I'll try and speak um, clearly enough. Okay, so Paul is writing to the Colossians. And he's obviously, if you just listen to the tone and listen to the topics and the words, he's addressing some specific things. He's giving the, the Christians some, some advice. And he starts in verses 1 through 4. He gives us some principles of this newness of life that... Um, we've been talking about, and and I just want to run through them quickly. Um, There's seven words that I want to pull out of those first four verses that that speak about in principles, foundation kinds of things about this new life that we have in Jesus. He says at first there's a raising. He says that if you've been raised with Christ, now if is not a good, the best word there because it makes it sound conditional. A better word would be, be probably since. He's making a statement of fact. Since you've been raised with Christ. Anybody here been raised with Christ? Anybody here saved and you know you're saved? You love Jesus and you know he lives inside of you? Well, Paul would say to you, because since you've been raised with Christ. That's the beginning of newness. That's the beginning and foundation of this new life that we have. We see ourselves raised with Christ. We identify ourselves with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that he came as our substitute. He became sin for us. Ephesians 2 says that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, what Jesus came and it says that he made us alive. He made us alive. That's great news. 
So we've been raised with him because of the person of Jesus Christ. There's a raising, there's a seeking. Also in verse 1, it says, seek the things that are above. Another translation um, may say, set your heart, set your affections on things that are, that are above. It means seek with a desire to possess. That's what that word means. Seek with a desire to possess. What do we want to possess? We want to possess the things that are above, higher things. Let's think about our character. Let's think about our attitude. Let's think about our motivations. Let's, let's think about our, our conduct. Let's think about the way we live. He's saying, live higher. Set your heart, set your mind, set your, your life, set the, yourself on things that are above. Seek those things that are above. Go after those things that are above so you can possess them. All right? And then there's a seating where Christ is seated, it says. Again, in Ephesians 2, we were dead in trespasses and sin. He made us alive and seated us with him in heavenly places. Now, we scratch our heads when we hear that. Just as a guy, I'm, I'm, my feet are right here right now, and yet I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yes. The answer is yes. Can I fully explain it? No. Do I believe it? Absolutely. We are seated right now. If you're in Christ, you are seated with him in heavenly places. Now, now, what is that place? Well, let's think of the place where Christ is. It's a, it's a place of, of power. It's a place of authority. It's a place of victory. It's a place of security. It's a place of, of sonship. Um, we are children of God. It's a place of, of favor. And it's a, all of those things are present tense. It's now. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, not then. We are seated now with Christ in heavenly places. And all those benefits are, are available and effective in our lives. There's a setting. Verse 2, set your mind. Okay, we, we seek and now we set our minds on things that are above and not on earth. Let this same mind, Philippians says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, it's easy to say I love Jesus. It's another thing to set your mind on him. It's two totally different things. Um, it, it, it's easy to, to just say, oh, yeah, Jesus is the Lord of my life. It's another thing to adjust and renew your mind so that he is the Lord of your life. That he has not only a vote in how you live your life, but he has the only vote in how you live your life. To make this life all about his life is part of this mindset that we need to develop and that we need to, to grow. We begin to think from the place where we're seated, in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places. Amen? There's a dying. The first part of verse 3, there's a dying. For you have died. Listen, everything Jesus died for, we died to. If you're a Christian, everything that Jesus died for, we have died to, have died, past tense. Here's the key to the Christian walk and journey that, okay, I'll just say that it's, it's probably been a problem in my life. Maybe but you're so pure and holy, but the problem is staying dead. <laughs> right? The problem is staying dead. But the reality is we're, we will only be alive to Christ to the same degree that we're dead to self that we're dead to self-will, that we're dead to self-governance. 
but alive to him and our lives surrendered and lost in him. There's a hiding. Verse 3, the second part. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that part of the verse. Jesus prayed before his ordeal and ascending back to the Father. And we have it recorded in John, the 17th chapter. It's, it's, a, it's a passage worth reading regularly. And in that prayer, he's, he, he says this to the Father. Just as you are in me and I'm in you, that they may be in us. That's what this verse is talking about, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are, we are immersed in his life. We are hidden in the life of God. The Bible says in Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. We exist in Jesus Christ. There's a hiding, then there's an appearing. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Now, when it says in glory, it's not talking about heaven. It's not talking about a place. Now, it could refer to that, but, but it's really talking about the essence or beauty of Christ. When Christ appears, we will appear like him. When Jesus shows up in our lives, we reflect him. When we walk in newness of life. Now, is there a, a, an end of days type of um, tone in that passage? Yes. And does it apply to that? Yes, it does. But not just end of days. It's also talking about now. When we walk in newness of life, Jesus appears because it's his life in us that we're reflecting. And when we reflect Christ, his glory radiates through us. We appear in glory. It's an amazing reality. So Paul says this is the Christian life. This, this is his introduction to, to this passage of, of Scripture. This is the Christian life. This is eternal life that's in us unfolding in real time, being developed in us in real time. It's a continual freshness. It's continually recent. It's continually unprecedented, better. And now Paul starts building on that foundation. He, and he's going to show us the activation of this new life. Okay? We can understand it. We can receive it. But how do we, how do we put it in motion in our lives? And, and so that's where he turns his attention. Now, as we go into these next passages of Scripture, I want, I want you to lay a foundation. Don't, don't read this, this, this passage as, as a, a laundry list of do's and don'ts. When, when we come to these kinds of passages in Scripture, and there's a few of them scattered throughout, that seems to be how we approach it. That Well, this is, if, if you're a Christian, then this new life is about you. Do these things, you don't do these things. And if you check them off the list, then you know that you're, you're good. I don't believe that's the real heart in, in what Paul is saying. I, I don't think that he was just trying to give some laundry list. If he was, it would have been a longer list. Right? Like the rest of your Bible list. I, I don't think, I think what, it, what he's trying to give us is a picture of a life that's filled with and guided by the Holy Spirit. A life that is really surrendered to the Spirit of God who is alive inside of us. He's talking about the practice of spiritual newness in a very practical way, in a very real life, in a day-to-day -day kind of way, in a, in a, in a 
um, a way that we can understand. It's a snapshot of what living by the power and prompting of the Holy Spirit will look like. That these aren't just things that do's and don'ts. That these are, these are how we deal with life. These are how we um, are being transformed and changed in life as we follow the Spirit of God. Listen, when Jesus came as a man, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus did, to live the life that, that Jesus lived, it was in the power of the Holy Spirit. At his, at his baptism, remember, it says the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. He was led into the, the wilderness for a time of temptation. It says that he came back filled with the Spirit. John writes in, in, in one passage that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. And if Jesus as a man on earth needed to live with the, in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, how many of you think maybe we do? Maybe that could help us in the way we're living our lives. And then he, he, that same Spirit then, the Bible says that same Spirit that was on Jesus, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us, lives in you. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to not only be with you, but He's going to be in you. That's a, it's a big key. It's a big reason, one of the reasons why the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. Because the Holy Spirit of God comes and he lives in us. That means we don't have to go anywhere to find the help that we need. doesn't mean we have to seek a thousand different opinions in order to find out what we should do in different situations. If we'll develop an ear to hear the Spirit of God who is in us. So don't all that to say, don't read this text as a list of regulations. Okay, we're reading it, this as, a, as, as our spiritual lives, as the Holy Spirit is growing and developing in us. It's the spiritual practice of walking out newness of life on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, and then he describes it, he uses the language of putting off and putting on. Um, it, it sort of think, talks about, or gives the picture of, of, of changing clothes of exchanging our, our old self, the way we used to live before Christ, and our new self that we have now put on, our, our life in Christ, that, that process, theologic, the theological word would be sanctification. Sanctification, it's the practice of, of walking out a spirit-led life. It says in 2 Thessalonians that God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification of the Spirit. Do we have a role to play in our own sanctification? Absolutely. We have to be an active member. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have to participate, but you don't do it on your own because you can't clean yourself. You can't transform yourself. It's our cooperation and our surrender to the Spirit of God who is in us. It's our growing and learning and discerning His voice and His presence and His moods and His whims and His, his will that transforms us, that helps us, that this new life comes out of. It's the, here's, my, here's my new favorite word. It's the revivification of the soul. Don't you like that word? It's hard to say. But once you start, it kind of rolls out. Revivification. Tell your neighbor, you need revivified. <laughs> it's a great word. It's a great word. And it's the essence of discipleship. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's reviving something in us that's, that's of God and from God. Okay, so let's, let's work through this real practically. Um, 
First, first he talks about we have, to, we have to kill the things that can kill this practice, that can kill this newness in us. We have, to, we have to kill it. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. That really, he could have just put a period and closed the book at that point. That covers everything. Kill, put to death, kill what is earthly in you. That, that, it's easy to write, just a few short words, and it's so comprehensive, but how many of you recognize in life it's not as easy to do? It's not as, as uncomplicated as it sounds, but, but that's what it says. We have to kill. If we're going to be revived by the Spirit of God, we have to put to death what's earthly in us, the things that appeal to our fallen nature, our old man, the old man, uh, the life of sin. Um, the Apostle Paul says everything, or John rather writes, everything's in the, in the earth. All sin can come under one of, or combination of, of three categories. The, the, the lust of the, the flesh, the lust of the eye, pride of life. Every sin we commit comes under one of those categories. He, he put the whole thing together. And then Paul gives, just gives some of the symptoms of those, all that's in the world. And he talks about them, probably this list, because probably that's what the church in Colossae was struggling with. Because this list could have been really, really long or gone in another direction, but he's probably addressing things that were personal that were happening in the church that he was, that he was writing to. It says sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. What he's talking about is strongholds. He's talking about strongholds that, that can exist in us. Verse 7, he says, In once we walked and lived in them. See, there are things from our old life. Sometimes there's carryover. Sometimes there's things that haven't died. Or sometimes there's things that want to keep resurrecting. How many of you know your flesh, your old man, has a memory? And he keeps wanting to bring those memories to your thoughts in a desirable way. In a way that tempts and, and lures and, and pulls us in. He's talking about strongholds, residue of sin, of our old life, old habits, old attitudes, old behaviors, old speech patterns, old thought patterns. That's why in the author of Hebrews says that we're to set aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us, those cyclical things in our life, those things that we think we have control of and then suddenly they just show up again. Those repetitive things that's why Scripture warns us, don't give the enemy a foothold. That, that's what these things are, because he exploits footholds. He uses them against us by keep bringing them back to our remembrance. Only, he, only he, put, he wraps them with pretty bows and puts a lot of glitter on them so that when we first think or see them or present it with them, we think, oh, this is, yeah, this is, until you, until you take the bite. Until he sets the hook, and once you bite, now there's problems. He gives him a warning in verse 6. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And of course, that's a reference to end times. That's a reference to future and the future and final judgment of God. Because there's a day coming of God's choosing where his justice will be satisfied. All right? We know right now he is extending mercy. How many of you know that's a choice, a sovereign choice God is making? It's not because we deserve mercy. 
We deserve justice. And right now he's choosing to be merciful, but there's going to be a, a day where his justice has to be satisfied. His justice has to be exacted against sin. And that is a, a, a future judgment that, that has yet to come, yet to unfold. But for our practical use today, there's also a kind of wrath that, of God that we can experience now. Now, it's not directly from God. When you do something bad and then you stub your toe, that's not the wrath of God. It's not the wrath of God. God, God right now, God is merciful. If mercy's extended to you in some way, that's God. But he's not sitting in heaven with a hammer just waiting to catch you, do, catch you doing something wrong. That, that, is, that is not God. But it's not his direct action, but by the fact that sin has its own judgment built into it. We sometimes experience some of the natural consequences of sin. There is a natural con consequence that, that unfolds because of sin. When we allow sin to exist and, and dwell in our lives, and for the Christian, that, that comes in two, two possible forms. Neither one's desirable, neither one is comfortable. In fact, they both feel very similar, and it's not always easy to distinguish and determine the difference between the two. The first one is condemnation. When, when we mess up, the, the enemy is very, very good and very quick, usually, at bringing condemnation on whatever it is we did. He, he's, he's very quick to, to revive in us a sense of, of guilt, a, a, a sense of, of shame. And then, then the other one is from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. If, if you belong to God and you, and you violate your relationship with God, conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Conviction means to convince someone of the truth. He comes along and taps you and says, you know what? You know better. You know what? Here's what the Word of God says, and, and, you, and you know that. He, he brings conviction. Now, like I said, both of those, neither one of them feels good. Neither one of those are desirable or something that we shout and say, oh, yay, I feel condemned. We, we, we don't do that. It, it, but here's how you can tell the difference. If you follow the path of whatever you're sensing in the moment, where does it take you? If it's from the enemy, if it's condemnation, it will take you deeper into guilt, deeper into shame, deeper into destruction, deeper into depression, deeper into just wanting to give up and, and, and walk away from all of it. On the other hand, if it's conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, still very uncomfortable, but will lead you back to the Word of God, will lead you to repentance, will lead you to restoration, will lead you to the love, the grace, and the mercy of God that we can call, and will lead you to, to confess your sin because you know He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. The Bible is telling us the good news in this passage is that we are able to live this newness of life. We're able to put to death those things that are earthly in us, that influence us. The Lord told Zerubbabel in the Old Testament the only way to restore, that he was going to be able to restore what the enemy destroyed, it says, was not by might, not by power but by his spirit, by his spirit. How do we recover from past lives? How do we recover 
from those trips and stumbles that we make, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God who lives in you, that constant companion. Now, there's evidence that he gives now about strongholds that are falling. There's evidence that we know that those things are falling away from us, that they're, they're losing their grip in our lives. Verses 8 and 9, he says that yeah, you have to put away anger and wrath and malice and don't lie to one, and, you know, in one another. These are the voices of strongholds. Strongholds speak. Strongholds talk to us. In the text, we know that strongholds are beginning to fall away. They're beginning to lose their grip and control in our lives when our words and conversation change. Now, whether those words are spoken, whether those words are just thought, whether those words are conveyed in, in attitude or tone, whether they're uh, communicated just through body language, strongholds have a voice. You know, he's, he's drawing a picture here, sort of like when, when you have some clothes that go out of style or they don't fit anymore, and you, you put them away. That's what he's saying, put, put them away. Now, doesn't mean store them in the closet. It means get them out of the house. It, it means just get rid of it. Let go of them. Okay? Have nothing to do with them any longer. We, we talk. So, in other words, here's two ways that we can gauge this. How do we think and talk about other people? How do we think and talk about, especially those people? How do we think and talk about them now compared to then? See, the, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. How does the devil do that? Now, can he speak to us and, and put thoughts in our mind? Yes. But largely, the way the devil is the accuser of the brethren is he accuses the brethren through the brethren. I wish that weren't true. But it's many times often the case that he accuses the brethren through the brethren, gossiping, murmuring, and criticizing, and slander. And the latest, greatest, newest thing, social media. I can't believe some of the things I've read on social media that Christians have said. Listen, can I just give you a piece of advice? All right, take it or leave it. Before you hit post, right, or tweet, or whatever the... Whatever the icon is, before you do that, read again what you wrote in the presence of God. If it doesn't build up, if it doesn't encourage, if it doesn't edify, remember, this is going to the whole world. This isn't just going to a person. If it doesn't bring unity and harmony, whether it, if, put yourself out there that I'm, you're, gonna, you're reading this and you don't know anything about anything, and you're reading this, what does it say? What, in other words, ask God to show you not just the words, but what's, what's the music behind your words? What's really going on in your soul and in your spirit as you write those words? And if it doesn't have the approval of the Holy Spirit, delete it. Delete it. All right, that was for free. Do what you want with it. All right, so how we talk with others. And you know the other biggie? Self-talk. Some of the conversation and words that need to change go on in their own head. 
There's a lot of people, your worst critic is you. You, you can't cut yourself slack on anything. You hold yourself to a line and to a level of accountability that you can't live up to. And when you don't, you destroy yourself just within yourself. You're your own biggest and greatest accuser. I, I, and I'll just give you one piece of advice on that. At those times, interrupt that voice and say this to you. You're talking about a child of God. You're talking about one of God's kids, and I don't think he'd be happy with what you're saying. All right. Put the death. Put them all away, Paul says. Now he shifts. Okay. He shifts now, and, and we're going to get out of that into more positive things. Now he starts talking about more positive things. He talks about putting on what the things that, through the Holy Spirit, we can add to our lives in this, in this life of newness. These are the things that are added and multiplied to us. Verse 10, big verse. And having put on the new self, which being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is talking about the, 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 this newness of life is a life that lives, is lived forward. It's a life of transformation, not just change, but transformation. It, it means that we have to stop trying to reform the old self and live in the renewal of the new self. Okay, that we have to stop struggling, trying to create and make in our own abilities a better version of ourselves, all for the name of Jesus. All because we love the Lord. We're going to clean ourselves up, and we're going to make ourselves more like Jesus. Good luck with that. Have fun, and, and let me know how that turns out. It's, it's not talking about that. It, it's, it's a life that accepts that I have been and am being renewed. That your life right now, every day of, as a child of God, that your life has been and is being renewed. That means made new, fresh, recent, unprecedented, better. Each and every day. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's not a reformed being. He's a new creation. Something that never existed before that now does. You become this new creation. You're recreated. And we're being recreated. We're being revivified back into that great Imago Deo. We're being changed and transformed back into the image from which we fell. We're being created back into the image of Christ himself. And how is that happening? It says renewed in knowledge after, after the image of, of, his, of your creator. Renewed in knowledge. The, the word there, epignosis, it, it means a full knowing. The Bible says we will know as we're fully known. How many of you know that you are fully known by God? Fully known. And, and this fully known, this knowledge that the Bible's talking about is, is twofold. God fully understands you. And God fully loves you. And you need both or you don't know. Full knowledge isn't yours unless both of those are part of your knowledge. A full knowledge requires both intellect and emotion. Information and inspiration. I can spend a lot of time breaking that down, and I won't today. But, but usually we 
lean one way or the other. But if we're going to fully know so that we can be transformed back, revivified back into his image, we have to be willing to fully know God, to fully know, and even as we see one another, to fully know the way Jesus wants to fully, and already fully knows us. He wants you to fully know him. It says that Jesus said, he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, for he'll take what's mine and declare it to you. That's a job of the Holy Spirit. He's going to take all that Jesus is, and he's going to give it, teach it, preach it, and transform you into it to be fully known by him so that we can fully know him back. The Holy Spirit is revivifying, recreating the image of Christ in you. How can we tell? All right? We'll bring this thing home. Land this plane, so they say. Verses 11 through 13. Relational transformation. There's two signs. How can we, how can we tell in, in Paul, Paul's passage? First, there's relational transformation. Verses 11 through 13. He says, it starts by saying here. Well, where, where's here? Um, here, in this new life. In this life that we're talking about. In this new newness of things. He, he, where is here? Here is in his church. This unfolds in his church, in his people. This is, here is here. Is here. here is Christian assembly in 2022. And if, if you read the text, it, see, differences cease to, to, cease to divide. Differences cease to divide. Nationality, race, religious history, culture, education, social standing. All these things that are listed there cease to be the measurement for relationship. Talking about corporate life together, corporate newness of life together. Not only are we individually responsible to, to learn and, and grow and walk in newness of life, but we corporately are to join hands as the body of Christ in the earth, as his church, and we are to corporately walk in this same kind of newness. That means that, that all of these things that, that used to divide can't any longer. They can't be measurements of how we see and view and relate to one another says that Christ is all and in all. That means this new life is all and only about Jesus, period. Know what that means corporately? That means if you're walking with Jesus, we're walking together. If you belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. It means that we don't, we don't rebuild walls that Jesus has torn down. Remember, it says that he has torn down walls of division. He's destroyed them. And in destroying them, we become what the Ephesians calls one new man. One new man. One new man isn't just you. One new man is the body of Christ that Jesus came to save, that Jesus came to redeem. That means that whatever exists in heaven should exist here. That means that whatever doesn't exist in heaven shouldn't exist here. You know, I, I've come and, and I've, I've settled the fact and I'm okay with it now. There won't be a little Italy in heaven. <laughs> and I'm good with that. There's not going to be suburbs. There's not going to be inner city in heaven. There's not going to be any walls of division. There's not going to be any separation. 
will simply be in Christ. All and in all. Jesus is everything. Final proof. How do we know that this renewal, this new life is taking place in us, this, this revivification, um, personal transformation, corporate transformation, personal transformation. Why don't you stand with me so I can close this thing. I'm not going to really teach this passage. I don't have the time. Verses 14 to 17. If you read it, what you'll find is divine metrics. You'll find, well, it's not so much how do we measure newness of life. Maybe before that, we need to know, well, how does God measure newness of life so that we can use the same measurements? And if you read that passage, he talks about things like binding love and ruling peace, his dwelling word, equipping faith, passionate worship, continual thanksgiving and abandonment of self. That's, those are the measurements that we can use, that, that God uses to look on us and see if we're growing in this newness of life, if we're walking out this newness of life. So as we close today, I want to take these last passages and I just want to read them as a blessing over you. Instead of teaching them as some corrective kind of thing, I want you to, this is the life God has for you. This is the life that Jesus died to bring us. This is the victory that he has in store for us. This, this, is, this is the newness, the freshness. This is the revivication that he wants to bring to you each and every day, the freshness that he wants to breathe across your life, no matter what's happening circumstantially, that you know and rest in this newness of life. So as we close today, just, just bow your head. If you feel comfortable and want to just lift your hands to receive this as a blessing, a blessing from God today. And above all these, May you put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. May you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, may you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, you love to bless your people. And I pray that this blessing rests upon each and every one. And not only that it rests on them, but Lord, it would go deep in their soul that your word would set down deep roots and your word would bring fruitfulness, that your word would bring the blossoms of newness of life in all areas of life. Lord, that we truly would walk out the life that you have put in us by your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we surrender, fresh, new today. We surrender to your voice in us, your guidance in us. Make us more discerning. Make us keener of hearing. Make us people who know how to pause before they act. 
pause before they speak. Pause before they choose to believe a thought that's in their head. Let us be people who pause and give you audience. People who truly acknowledge you in all our ways. So that, Lord, you'll straighten our path. So, Father, let the blessing of God rest fully on your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being here. I hope you can come back and be with us next week.